Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Nancy. My name is Matthew. And in our podcast, Matt and I like to talk about movies we watched growing up together. Or more recent movies. Depends on the week. Who knows? Mostly old movies. Yeah. But this week we're we're doing, doing a little different. We've got an older movie and a more current movie. And we're focusing on our buddy, Michael Keaton. Now... Nancy, I got to admit something. After doing our rewatch and thinking about the two movies that we did watch, I thought about it and I was like, wow, we could have done Beetlejuice or Batman or Birdman or a whole bunch of other Michael Keaton movies. And we picked these two. And my movie... I had some a lot of mixed feelings watching this movie. <laughs> Me too. Primarily, primarily because it um, does not hold up with nope. with the times. But I also had a lot of not great feelings watching your movie. <laughs> okay, so I picked The Founder, which has Michael Keaton basically as... The guy who turned McDonald's into McDonald's. McDonald's. And, you know, it's a biopic, which y'all know I love. And it came out just a few years ago. And I really liked it. And I thought because it was all about Michael Keaton as a business person, I thought it being paired with Matt's movie made a lot of sense. Because in a lot of ways, they have very similar roles. I have never seen Matt's movie until today. But I kind of had the vibe from what I've known about it over all these years, that they, they'd make sense. So do you believe it? Do you understand why I picked them? Oh, thought they'd make totally. sense? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because my movie is from 1986, directed by Ron Howard and starring Michael Keaton. It is called Gung Ho, which is a movie that was on uh, like HBO and and cable and I picked up watching it over, over and over again. And, um, basically what it's about is Michael Keaton is a former foreman for a shutdown auto plant in a small town outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And he, at the beginning of the movie, you don't really know what he's doing, but you just know he's going to Japan and basically, he is going to Japan to try and get a auto company, which is a fictional company called Asan Motors, which in my research apparently is supposed to be like Nissan. Mm. And he's trying to get them to buy the plant and reopen the factory because there was two big factories that were like the main sources of all the work for this town an underwear factory (laughs) which closed and the auto plant and when the auto plant closed like almost the whole town was out of work Mm. and you know this movie ends up becoming kind of a portrait of how Industry can build up or destroy a a small town. Mm -hmm. The effects of that as far as how it affects all the people in the town, which are basically the employees. And, you know, he succeeds in getting this Japanese auto company to reopen the plant. And it's got some, there's some conditions as far as, you know, it's not necessarily like a permanent thing. Like it's going to happen you know, they're going to open it and everyone's going to have their jobs forever. Yeah. There are some contingencies involved. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, he gets them to reopen the plant and really what we're, what you end up watching for about two hours is this culture clash of Japanese working culture and American working culture. And what, gave me mixed feelings watching this movie is it is very racist. Yes. <laughs> it is not, and it's not just racist against 
Japanese people. It is racist against American workers too, in in yeah. some ways. But but it is mainly racist against yeah. the Japanese people. And and the characters, like a lot of the characters, are blatantly racist in yeah. it. I mean, it's uncomfortable from, to watch from from using from using racial slurs to. Um, mocking the behavior and all the things that you do yep. not do. So this movie does not really hold up Mm-mm. very well at all. Mm-mm. And it's probably like, I wonder if you were to ask Ron Howard, like, Hey, what, you know, what do you think about when you made that movie gung ho? He'd probably be like, yeah, that probably wasn't a good idea. Yeah. But, but all that being said, like, okay, so if you can put some blinders on to try <laughs> and, and have the and, and maybe just kind of accept the fact that part of the reason why they there's this culture clash and why we're watching this is maybe just because like the they're just trying to make the racism real like how mm, how mm-hmm. real it might be um but you end up really kind of watching a movie about you know industry and blue collar workers and some of the trials and tribulations that they go through dealing with management, dealing with different management styles and everything. Mm -hmm. And Michael Keaton's character, Hunt Stevenson is, you know, he was the foreman and he was, he's kind of like the town hero in a sense where like, it's a small town. Everyone like went to school together. Like, you know, everybody in the town and you know, he's always trying to be Mr. Positive and bring the, the, the whole town together and, you know, really get behind this idea. And you end up watching just like a lot of stressful moments between, you know, the American workers and the Japanese workers. Mm Mm-hmm. And in, in in some extremes, I mean, yes, yes, it's it's yeah. it's done. It's not. It's done in a in some extremes. Um. But, you know, opposite Michael Keaton is a Japanese manager who is like head of bringing everyone back to this plant. Played by, um, I think his pronounces his name is pronounced. Getty Watanabe is the actor. I watched and something earlier and heard confirmation. That is how you pronounce his first name. Getty Watanabe, who most of you probably know as Long Duck Dong from, mm-hmm. from 16 Candles. Yeah. But, Another movie filled with racism. <laughs> true. But um, he is kind of dealing with, you know, he's feeling this pressure to be successful. In oh, yeah. this in this Japanese culture of, or working culture, and you know here he is bringing his whole family to America to try and and he's dealing with the stresses of of that of trying to get the the factory working efficiently like it like as if it was a Japanese factory mm-hmm. um, run entirely uh, or wor- filled with Japanese workers and. He's probably my favorite character in this. He's movie. my favorite character as well. Easily. Um because you actually like at no point in this movie do you ever have like any distaste for this guy. He's just super nice and he's just trying to work hard. And yes, he does do a couple things to, you know, he he gets stressed out and maybe says a few things that are not really nice to his wife. For the most part, he is easily the Easiest character to watch other than maybe Mimi Rogers. <laughs> but even she... Okay, we'll get into it. Okay. Where this movie really kind of um, also kind of gets troublesome and, and like the second act of the movie is uh, Michael Keaton's character is trying to not just motivate the American workers to try and buy into a lot of what the Japanese management is trying to get, you know, them to do and follow the rules and everything mm-hmm. and basically keep the plant open because otherwise the plant 
the plant's going to, they'll just close the plant. You know, there's no guarantees that this plant's going to stay open. Well, and the Japanese company said, look, we had to buy you out because your company failed. You need to follow our lead, even if, right. even if it's uncomfortable, even if you don't like it. So he's, so besides trying to rally the American workers, he's also trying to help them by getting them a raise because when um, they were making like eleven fifty an hour and he um, – granted, remember, this is 1986. Yeah. Um, they were making eleven fifty an hour and he – when they all got hired back by Asan Motors, it was like eight seventy five an hour. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to get them their – back to their old wages. Mm-hmm. So he cuts a deal with ja- the, the management – basically asking them, well, what's the, what's the most amount of cars that you made in a month? They tell him 15,000, which, um, I don't make cars. So I, I'm assuming that's in Japan. Yeah. In Japan, which I'm assuming is like an astronomically crazy amount of cars, um, for that time. Sure. But, um, he, he does like a handshake deal. You know, that's the deal. If they make 15,000 cars, They'll get their full raise, you know. Everyone will get fully employed, and get their full raise. Well, when he goes and tells and t- tries to tell this to all the guys at the, you know, who are meeting at the union hall, but because it's a Japanese company, they could not actually form a union. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what they're used to. They all needed work, so this is what they could do. Mm-hmm. He tells them the, about the 15,000 cars, and they're all like, that's fucking crazy. You know, there's no way we can do that. And then one of his friends, played by John Turturro, mm-hmm. says, hey, man, Hunt's been had our back this whole time. He's not an idiot. I'm sure he has a contingency plan of, like, 13,000 cars, and we get some of our raise. Right, Hunt? And he's like, uh, Yeah. And that starts the Costanza problem for me in this yes. movie. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, so all of the everyone goes back to work. Everyone starts coming in on weekends and working overtime and not taking breaks and kind of, you know, busting their ass thinking, oh, well, with, as long as we get 13,000, we're good. And he's like, no, 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 you can't think that way. And it just becomes like this whole like downward spiral of stress and whatnot um, to the point where while they're all busting their ass, one of the employees almost gets his hand chopped off in in the line. Oh, don't even go into it. I had to I couldn't even watch. I work somewhere yeah. where accidents like that can happen and it just Yeah, I yeah, I know. <sighs> while while his the all the coworkers are at the hospital, one of the Japanese guys comes to give, you know, see how he's doing and bring him some some uh flower basket or whatnot. And tells them, oh, no, there's no deal for 13000 It's 15000 or that's it. All or so all the, guys, all the guys are basically ready to go and kill him, you know, kill Hunt. Eventually, it comes down to, by the end of the movie, all the workers walk out. The Japanese are ready to pull the plug on it. And Hunt, you know, admits that he lied, but still... You know, no one can, no one wants to do anything. And he has this, he meets up with, with Kaz, um, Getty Watanabe's character, um, Kazuhiro. And they kind of are like, this is our last chance. Let's try and do, let's try and, you know, finish this up. How many cars have we made? Well, well, we've, we've made 14,000. Well, we only have to make a thousand cars, but they have to do it in a day. (laughs) A thousand cars in one day. So they go to the plant themselves and walk past, like, all the workers, you mm-hmm. know, who are like, screw this, you know, the plant's closed. And then eventually you have, like, this huge rallying moment with a whole montage and everything where all the workers come back and eventually save the day and everyone gets their job back, honky-dory, everything's fine. Not, um, not before Michael Keaton, after he and Cause have been working on a car, and he goes... All right, how long did that take us? Uh, 15, 20 minutes? Uh, no, four hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, it's, it's, is it a perfect movie? Not at all. 
Um, I enjoyed rewatching it because I probably haven't watched it in at least twenty years, mm. and and in that time, you know, I've worked mm-hmm. in blue collar jobs and everything, and seeing the ups and downs and how the business works and mm-hmm. working with different people and all their different situations and getting to actually see a movie with, you know, talking about that and, and displaying that and everything yeah. was really good. Um, but yeah, I, I more, my more adult woke mind as, a, as opposed to one when I was like eight years old, when this movie came out and I probably may have first saw it. Um, Definitely had a hard time, like, not just being like, wow, this movie's really fucking racist. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there are funny parts in it. You know, it's, I think it's, there's some parts that are trying to be lighthearted, but there's some, like, really serious shit that they talk about. You know, it's people's lives. And it's really also, I think, hard watching this movie now. You know, there's a lot of people out of work right now because of COVID and, We've you and I have had to work through recession, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and I got to think also that you know this movie came out in '86. It's over thirty years old. Industry has changed a lot in thirty years. Even I mean, even in America, I mean, we've seen. I think it's it's what's really funny is there's a lot of car, like there's a lot of car. Um, manufacturers in the United States that actually manufacture Japanese cars a lot like this movie. Um, I have a Nissan that was uh, built in America. We um, have the Tesla factory that's not far from us. Right, but that's an... Um, that I know, Tesla I'm just, I'm just saying in general, like, I mean, there's yeah. a, there is a car factory in the Bay Area. Right, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is, but we've also seen, you know, the opposite happen where, like, where instead of, you know a foreign country bringing their business to the United States to have manufacturing here, like 75% of probably manufacturing from United States companies has gone overseas. Oh yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's very interesting how, and it's actually 35 years since this movie came out. Yeah. How, how, how much has truly been outsourced since then and how in, so one of my problems with this movie is, just the absolute stubbornness of the workforce to not want to try. And they'd been out of work for like nine months. And sure, they are very proud. They have a lot of dignity and they don't like change. So having people come in and try to tell them you need to be doing things this way instead of the way you were always doing it, because obviously the way you were doing it before had a lot of flaws because that company went out of business the fact, like, just the intense disrespect that they showed to their bosses and the company itself, and primarily because they were an other, was really annoying. Because it's yeah. like, there are no other jobs. I mean, one great scene was when Hunt comes back and his girlfriend, Mimi Rogers, is driving him through the town, and he hadn't been gone that long. And all sorts of businesses on Main Street were then closed up, and the only thing that was open was, like, a U-Haul, so people could get out of the town and move away. Um, So I I felt like... I mean, we live in a a much larger area where there's a lot of different opportunity for us because... You know the Bay Area, the extended Bay Area has like seven million people. So well, and and there's a there and on top of a lot of different industries, it's a lot of different um, socioeconomic yeah uh, levels too, yeah. where you have everything from you know major corporate industry down to um, like very different kinds of like labor yeah just laborers so we don't have we don't have like a personal experience or even anyone like in our family or extended family that grew up that lived in a smaller community where there really were two or three main employers and if those employers left you're super screwed but you worked at you worked at the underwear factory (laughs) the car factory or you joined the military or something yeah maybe those were your options yeah you know so, so I guess just, like, their just complete resistance to wanting to learn or just do something else just seemed a little, like, too much. I mean, sure, 
maybe asking everyone to do jumping jacks and cherry pickers the first day of work was a little much, but I mean, so what? You just kind of, you know, I, and I'm not to, I'm, I don't want to say like I'm someone that doesn't, you know, ask questions or challenge things or whatever, but I mean, at the same yeah. time, it's like, you know, and, and again, this is where 35 years later and just how much the global economy has changed and how much we know opportunities have kind of changed for everybody. It's like, I think they would have been more grateful is what I'm getting at. Like, I think they really would have been a lot more grateful if they could have like looked ahead and been like, Oh, this is how change much things could change. So anyways, that was my main issue with the movie. My second issue with this movie is that it came out like a year or two after Mr. Mom and in Mr. Mom, Jack Butler was also a car maker or laid off car maker and Jack Butler is a much more likable person than Hunt Stevenson. And this is Michael, Ke- Michael Keaton's character. So I, I had true. my own kind of prejudice against this movie because I've seen Mr. Mom so many times, and I love oh, that yeah. movie. So kind of comparing that in my mind, I was like, this guy is, like, not a good salesman. He's not a good negotiator. Like, he's got a lot of issues. And so that kind of got on my nerves. Um, well, but he I- really – I mean, he was – he – he was not that different from some of the other guys in the plant. I mean, he was he was a foreman. Yeah. But, you know, and so he may have had some more experience or had just been given some other op- yeah. some more opportunities than some of the other guys or just took the chances than that some of the other guys didn't want or yeah. various reasons, but um I think that He was probably, he is definitely, like, the challenging point to this movie. And and it's not that it's, like, poorly acted or anything like that. It's more just, like, you want to sit there and be like, why the fuck did you just do this? <laughs> shut, shut your mouth, man. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> can, can I but s- that's not his character. But that's not kind of his character. It's funny, though, because watching him in this movie, I see parts of other movies I've seen him in, like, like there's a little bit of there's a little bit of Mr. Mom in in mm-hmm. this movie in him. There's some Johnny Dangerously in mm-hmm. him, which is another movie we also could have just talked about instead. Um, there's also um, a little bit of. Um, have you ever seen the movie Night Shift? Not yet. Um, I want to. That is a that's a really great movie. And it's kind of early on in his mm-hmm. career, and it's a very si- similar All... kind of fast talking, wheeling and dealing kind of aspect to him. Also, Ron Howard. Yes, so it's different than like when he goes into like becoming Beetlejuice <laughs> or, or Batman, you know? So it's a little different. And I totally agree with like all those point things that bothered you about it. I, I totally get it mm-hmm. because I felt very, very much the same way um, in that sense. And, you know, when we decided to talk about Michael Keaton movies and I was, I was actually, I agree with you that these two movies actually that we're going to, um, my movie and your movie because they deal with business in mm-hmm. different ways um, do go mm-hmm. well together. So uh, what was your favorite scene in this movie? All right. So um, my favorite scene is when the whole Asan team arrives and like the whole town is there. Like they've got all these really strange, culturally inappropriate, you know, like, like they've got like a, a year of the dragon kind of thing running around. They've got got they've got kids in like karate outfits. But my favorite favorite part is once the plane has landed and they open the plane and they have rolled out this red carpet. Um, Kaz and his family they look and they look at each other and they're like, "Fuck." Now they have to take their shoes off to walk <laughs> on this carpet because they don't right. believe in wearing shoes on carpet or, like, in a house. So that that had me laughing so hard because I feel like it was one of the more subtle things that this movie did. And and it wasn't attacking anybody, and it wasn't, like, a right or wrong thing. It was no. just, like, this is what these silly Americans thought would be appropriate, but they didn't really understand this other part so I know that sounds like a small kind of minor thing like why would that be my favorite part but there's just something about the look on his face like 
Okay. It was almost like, okay, this is what, this is a taste of what the whole experience of you being here is going to be like. So. Yeah. My, um, <laughs> did you rec, I don't know if you noticed this, but the mayor is played by Ron Howard's dad. Jack mentioned that. He's like, I think that's yeah. his dad. I'm like, oh, And, and okay. of course, because it's Ron Howard, Clint brother is also, yeah. it, he's also in it. He's one of the workers that, mm. all, he's the one that always has the cigar and wants to put, turn the radio oh, on. The troublemaker. Yeah. So, anyway. Well, he's not, he's not as big of a troublemaker as Norm, as, as George Wendt <laughs> well, is. Well, actually, you know what, you, you mentioned that, and let me tell you, another part that I really liked was when Michael, when um, Hunt and Norm um, get into a fight at the his grocery name, store. He has another. In, in this movie, his nickname is Buster. Okay. Well, when Buster and <laughs> Hunt um, get into the fight at the, at the grocery store, because I feel like that was when um, Hunt was really starting to see, like, okay, like, things are not working correctly. Like, so right. this, this, these cultural issues that we are having are ridiculous, like, we need to be working. We need to collaborate more, and we, the Americans, need to be doing more to reach out because they've come here. They're helping us. They're giving us work, and we they're need paying to be us. more. <laughs> yeah, we need to be a lot more gracious about it. So he steps in because um, Buster is a big guy and would not let. Um, I believe it was Cause right, his wife. It was Cause's wife. Yeah. yeah. So Cause's wife was at the grocery store and she was trying to get to something and he just wasn't letting her. He was being a total brat. And they ended up getting in a big fight through at least two or three aisles. At least. And um, then Hunt got whacked in the face with uh, barbecue coals um, <laughs> or charcoal. And it's like. It, oh, I thought it was dog food. Was it dog food? Either way. It, it, it was a big, heavy bag, all I, is all yeah. I know. And that kind of wiped him out. But. And no, but then, then he slugs it, and then he slugs Buster, and Buster, because George Went is drunk. I mean, what's what's up with George Went having to always be drinking? Drinking. I, know. I mean, <laughs> so typecast. <laughs> but but then and then he takes a face dive into the cheese puffs. So there I mean, but yeah. So those those are those are the movie the my scenes I like. Um, I I like that scene. I also I pretty much like all the scenes between Hunt and Kaz. Mm-hmm. They're I just great. think that the two of them together were really good. What and um, and 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 Cause is is he's he's actually like a really cool guy. Mm-hmm. And and you know they they try to make it like there's all these cultural differences and everything, but he's pearly, he's he's the one that is the closest to how the Americans yeah. are. So he was like the perfect one to kind of be like. Like to work with Hunt mm-hmm. to to try and make things different, but of course, because I'm a baseball fan, the softball scene oh yeah, yes, is probably yes. one of my favorites. Yes. it doesn't end well, but no, that is definitely one of my favorites. Um, just they're, they're dressed like the Yankees. It makes me like them even less now. <laughs> so so that was a lot of fun, but I enjoyed rewatching it just for my own personal knowledge and everything uh my wife sherry she had never seen it me um, neither so new for me so it was it was a new movie to watch um but uh you know it's being older and with the way our culture has changed and just and working culture and the economy and everything it, it definitely was um, it's dated and mm-hmm. um uh a little, a little cringeworthy in in, yeah. in parts, and okay. um, you know, um, again, uh, since you mentioned it, though, I do want to ask you, what was your problem with Mimi Rogers in this movie? Oh, I, not, there wasn't really anything wrong with her. It was more just, I mean, he he was so mean to her. I think it was more just. Oh yeah, he was. It, he was it, a it, it wasn't her. her. Yeah. It it wasn't her. It was more just. Why does he even have a girlfriend in this movie? I guess maybe yeah. that was part of it because, you know, I, I felt like if their life, again, and it's, like, it's hard for me not to compare this to Mr. Mom. I mean, it's just hard to, it, he didn't seem that invested in her. And it kind of made some of these other decisions he made about, you know, lying, you know, the George Costanza-ish of it, you know, it's like, eh. So, but, other, you know, nothing, nothing against Mimi Rogers. Okay, so basically, what you're saying is the the 
parts with Mimi Rogers were not necessarily problems with Mimi Rogers. It was with Michael Keaton's character being a dick to her. Yeah, or or just and maybe the chemistry wasn't. I, I don't know. There's just it. I I did not need to. Yeah, I don't know. So speaking of Michael Keaton being a dick, let's talk about your movie, The Founder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So The Founder came out in 2016, and Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc who is a salesperson. He's married to Laura Dern in the movie, and he is a door-to-door salesperson. He is set in the 50s. I believe it starts in 54 and outside of St. Louis. And he's trying to sell these um, five-spindle milkshake machines to little hamburger joints. And he has just crappy luck. And then all of a sudden... His um, secretary tells him, oh, yeah, well, the, this one little joint out in San Bernardino ordered six. And he's like, that's ridiculous. There's no way they'd order six. And he calls him up. Oh, no, we actually need eight. So he is so inspired. Like, what the hell operation are they running there to need eight? Meaning they could make 40 milkshakes all at once. Like, what are they doing? So he drives across country and doesn't really reveal to them immediately why he's there, but he meets um, Mac and Dick. Dick McDonald, and they show him his their whole operation, and it is the like original McDonald's restaurant um, in terms of the way it functions and the... Original, I'm assuming originally, like, the limited menu. I mean, their menu back then is kind of like what In-N-Out does now, where there's just really mm-hmm. very few choices because they've mastered the few things that yeah. they do. Hamburger, cheeseburger, like, three drinks, and fries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very, very little uh, variation. Um, but he, you know, he sees so much potential in what they do. And he's, he straight up asks them, are you guys going to franchise this? And they said, well, you know, we've got a couple, but these people, like, they don't adhere to what we want. Like, the quality control just completely goes out the window. So, you know, Ray Kroc is like, hmm, okay, how am I, I going to make this work? Because he's, he's tried to invest in things. Like, he's, he's got kind of a failed salesman quality in the sense, like, yeah. you know, he's in his late 40s, early 50s, and just hasn't landed something really big. And he, But he sees a lot of potential in them. In fact, like he says towards the end of the movie, like persistence is what has made him a success. Like He's just very persistent. But he sees that they have mastered this. You walk up, you pay 35 cents for a burger, fries, and a soda, and, like, you're literally handed your meal. Like, there's fast no waiting. You're, it yeah. is fast food. It is, it is instantaneous food. It's your, you know, the amount of time it takes to get your change made is, and then the, the person working at the register to turn around and grab your burger, fries, and drink. That's it. It's so quick. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's an interesting biopic about the founding of McDonald's and how it expanded and, you know, I don't eat at McDonald's. I don't eat fast food anymore. I haven't for many years. But we did for a long time. We grew up with McDonald's. We had a McDonald's two blocks away from our house. It was one that we were able to walk to very, very easily. It was like, easier to walk there than the mall. Like, it was just yeah. right there. It was on our way home from school. From all of the schools we went to. Yeah. I mean, it was right there. Um, it is now a church. <laughs> Literally, it got torn down and became a church. But... He is, you know, so Ray Kroc is just driven, driven, driven businessman. He is very persistent. He gets very challenged trying to work with these very stubborn brothers that really do not want to deviate from what they're doing. And if it was up to them, I don't imagine they would have ever expanded beyond the five or six restaurants they ever had. 
But Ray did as much as he could to bend the rules and expand within the limitations that the brothers were presenting him until he bumps into B.J. Novak at a bank and B.J. Novak says, hmm, you need to change your strategy. You are only taking like a 1% cut of all of this. You need to stop trying to just take a, a percent of this and you need to like lease the land. Like you need to be in charge of, you need to change it to a real estate business, not a, you know, overseeing the franchise business. And then hence the McDonald's corporation is, is born. And, you know, eventually the brothers lose everything. I mean, they get a big payout once, but this like long-term perpetuity thing never worked out. But it's just a really interesting movie to watch the birth of what, like, every American has experienced McDonald's. Like, you cannot tell me an American that has never eaten McDonald's before. Or gone to the bathroom in one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something. You know, yeah. they're, they're all over the place. And I think that the, the big, one of the first surprises for me in this movie was I loved that, John Carroll Lynch and Nick Offerman play the brothers, mm-hmm. the McDonald's brothers. Yep, they're great. Uh, they are so good, and Nick, o- it's like Nick Offerman was born to play that part. Agreed. Um, um, because if you've ever seen him if in Parks and Recreation, you know, that's, it would be like what Ron Swanson would have, mm-hmm. what he would have done. But I was not... Like, the whole movie, I think, you're sitting there going, there's something about Ray Kroc. And I knew, I didn't know anything going into this movie. Oh, good. I did, not, I did not look it up. I didn't know. All I knew was it's about McDonald's. Which is still so, around. <laughs> so, so, as far as I knew, Ray Kroc was the guy who invented McDonald's. So, mm-hmm. when he was going around as, like, a door-to-door salesman... I was like, oh, this is weird. How's he getting to burgers? And then when he goes to the McDonald's and, and how it all plays out, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is not how I imagine this happening. And then when you see, when you start seeing that he's decided to franchise and like the, the light bulb going off or the golden arches going off in his head, you, um, you really start to think like there's nothing, there's something wrong here. Like, mm-hmm. something's going to happen. And at the moment, he starts getting frustrated with his small percentage, with, you know, he's coming up with ideas to help his franch- the franchisees that he signed mm-hmm. to, like, make more money and be more successful and everything when he's trying to help them all because they're all like, oh, well, what do you mean I can only have five things on my menu? You know, they love fried chicken here, so I'm going to start selling fried chicken. Mm-hmm. And he, he gets on their ass like, you can't do that. No, what do you mean you're putting lettuce on the burgers? You're not supposed to put lettuce, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, you know, so he's frustrated with all the hard work that he feels like he's putting in and getting so little. And then when he meets BJ Novak and they, he explains to him, like, you're doing this all wrong. Mm-hmm you really see the turn. Like, mm-hmm. that's when, like, 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 he always was kind of a dick, like a major, like, he always was a dick, but you didn't really see it until the light bulb goes off, and then he, like, meets another woman, mm-hmm. and he's, he never feels like he's being supported by, by his wife, Laura Dern, mm-hmm. but, I mean, clearly she, she's trying it's just he's never there. I mean, it's got, I can only imagine the stress of having a traveling salesman for a husband when you don't have any kids or anything. You're yeah. just, oh, yeah, that's what he does. And yeah, gone all I the live time. in this house. Yeah, you well, don't have a relationship. Well, their ambition so. was never really matched. And when he meets Joan, played by Linda Cardellini, um, yeah. she clearly has the same kind of level of ambition that he does. And that just... Right turns him on so much. He's so excited. Right. right. I mean, she gives him the great idea of how to save money with yeah. uh, the... The instant milkshake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the powdered milkshake. 
yeah, when it got to the end, and I was sitting there going, maybe this guy will actually turn out to have a heart. And then when he has the whole, when he decides to divorce his wife, and is like, she can have everything, but she doesn't get one ounce of stock from McDonald's. Mm-hmm. When when that happened, I was like, this guy's gonna be a fucking asshole the whole rest of this movie. Yeah, and he screws over his wife. He screws over, you know, he kind of screws over the franchisees because now he's their, he's their landlord. Yeah. Instead of, you know, just being the guy who's helping them get, sell them a franchise. Mm-hmm. And then he ultimately screws over the brothers who, who gave him the whole idea and everything. Yeah. And then the movie ends with, you know, when the movie ends, when he's preparing to give a speech at a Ronald Reagan fundraiser. I was sitting there like, fuck this guy. <laughs> you know, fuck this guy. I mean, I was, the movie is not bad, but it's one of I those I think it's great. Movie, but it's one of those movies where, like, you're watching a main character who you ultimately fucking hate. <laughs> and that is just really, really hard to swallow, I think, for, you know, especially right now. And for me, mm. you know, I just wanted to be like, fuck this guy. I mean, ultimately, he. I I had to look him up. Like mm. after all this, I had to look stuff up. And yeah. B. J. Novak's character at one point, you know, he becomes the CEO of McDonald's because um, they they basically become a corporation that is is a real estate company, mm-hmm. and that is is still how it's run. That oh, is wow. still how it's done. Um, there, I think, I think um, my. I think Sherry had looked it up and like they're one of the biggest real estate companies in the world because wow. they have so much real estate all over the world. Yeah. And um uh so I looked him up and he gave like tons of money um like $300,000 at the time which was a lot. Um, in 1972 to get Nixon reelected. So, mm. um, minimum wage, uh, there wouldn't be a set minimum wage at the time. Mm. And, you know, he was just trying to, he was, he, he ultimately ended up moving to San Diego and getting out of, uh, working with McDonald's, kind of retiring from working with McDonald's. And he was an owner of the Padres for 10 years. Oh, and when that, and, just before that, when he moved to San Diego, um, he ended up marrying Joan, mm-hmm. Linda Cardellini's character. They did not get, it's not like he left his wife and then they were together. They didn't see each other for a while. She was still with her other husband. And then they met up at a, at a, like McDonald's convention, um, in the late sixties. And they both had just been, they were both divorced and they were like, Oh, well, let's finally get, get together. And she ended up being, like, a huge philanthropist, like, opposite of his Mm -hmm. political views in some ways. And I guess, apparently, in San Diego, there's a whole bunch of monuments and, and, like, places named after her. Nice. Like, fuck that guy. Um, And uh, (laughs) so when it was over, and and I'm reading this, I started reading more about her than Mm. him. And I was like, damn, could they have just made, like a Mrs. McDonald's movie. And, and I would have much rather have, like seeing a successful movie about her. <laughs> but, um, so how, but, much, how yeah. much, how much of your like just general feelings about Michael Keaton as an actor made you like or dislike this movie? Cause he is so amazing. Oh, he's great. And that no, is why really I love good. this movie. Like I give this movie he, four, four and a half stars. I think it's, awesome he's really good he and he has and and he's from chicago and he has like this really like like at first i couldn't pinpoint his accent and then when they said when he was living in chicago with his wife i was like oh he's nailing Mm -hmm. like the chicago accent um which he kind of loses though when he when he sings at the piano he sounds like michael keaton and doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like like ray Kroc. and then there's like a uh, footage of uh, real footage of Ray Kroc talking mm-hmm. and Michael Keaton nail like he does a really great job. So as a Michael Keaton movie, I think like if you like Michael Keaton as an actor, you would be very impressed by this movie. Mm-hmm. And and I liked and and again, I loved watching 
um, the McDonald's brothers in this. Uh, even B.J. Novak, he's who great. he is so good in this movie. Yeah. Even though he has a, he doesn't speak a lot. He doesn't have yeah. a lot of 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 dialogue and, and screen time. But he's great in this movie. Even and and I like and I will always like Laura Dern. Me too. Like, Laura Dern is great. And and so it's a well acted movie. It's a well made movie. It just it's one it it's 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 an American story. And yeah. if we're comparing, you know, these two movies together, mm-hmm. I mean, you're seeing Michael Keaton as kind of like the blue collar worker, and then then in and I watched Gung Ho before I watched The Founder. So Me too. I'm watched. So I'm watching him as like this. You know, uh, labor fighting, uh, blue collar worker, and then watching him as this like very kind of, I, I, I don't know. I guess greedy is the word, but I guess persistent salesman. Because I mean, if you're a salesman, your goal is to make money, and that, and sometimes, you know. You, you can't get away from the greed aspect of that, of wanting to make more money, because that's how you measure your success. Well, and I think with a lot of salespeople, it's you keep just trying, you keep like throwing spaghetti on the wall until something finally sticks. And right. he wasn't, he wasn't later in his salesman career. I mean, Laura Dern even kind of scolds him a little bit about. Here you are taking yet another risk. You're putting our savings on the line. And then, you know, he goes and mortgages their house behind her back. You know, she has stuck with him for all those years when he was struggling. So I think when he finally had this, like, massive idea, which was to steal someone else's idea, um, I think he finally, he, he had a vision for something that Dick and Mac McDonald did not see. And... I think he felt like he deserved every penny he earned because he, and he really was the one that did so much more of that extra leg work. I mean, we don't know. I, it wasn't really clear in the movie how many years he was out there getting all of those other franchises up and running. I'm going to assume it was probably at least four or five in real time. So, I mean, he was, he had this kind of constrained relationship with the brothers where like, like BJ Novak says to him, he's like, so you're doing all this work, you're getting all these things set up and you have zero authority to really make any changes because the brothers hold all the cards. Yeah. Okay. So how does that continue to work for you? It doesn't like you're a big idea person and you're being squashed. Um, I don't know. I mean, yes. Like in this day and age where, you know, we're living with, some really horrible, greedy business people in charge of things, and there's just, like, a nastiness about it. I mean, you could say that, you know, this story of the founder of McDonald's, the way it's portrayed in the movie, he did work hard. Like, I think that's... Oh, that's, yeah. There, no. there, there is an, there's something to admire he, he, in his work ethic. Not, no, he is not a... a um, I want everything handed to me. Um, trust fund baby. <laughs> trust fund baby or anything yeah. like that. He, and, and the fact that he had this idea, he, he drove all the way out to California. He worked on the brothers to try and convince them multiple times. It wasn't like he went out there and they were like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do this. You know, it, it was a lot of hard work for him to, to even get it to happen. And I can't knock any of that, but I think the idea of, you know, basically putting out the creators of the whole system and the, and the idea, putting them out of business. Yes, he paid them each like a million, what after taxes ends up being like a million dollars each, but then he, he reneges on the handshake deal of the like 1% royalty or money of earnings or whatever he basically is like you don't get any of this and it's like really come on i mean if you think about it that, yeah, that would have been horrible. worth like that was that would have been worth like millions of dollars and then you know the settlement he makes with his ex-wife to where like she gets a house and a car and that's it like 
you know, yeah. he doesn't give her anything else. I mean, stuff like that is just... Yeah, he's... And maybe he just didn't want it in paperwork, but... And could have gifted the, her, her something later, but... I guess he just always felt like she... she he probably felt like she held him back, which was not really true. I mean, but she was just kind of tired and, like... Yeah. I, at some point, I actually was kind of like, like, man, at what point is she going to divorce him? Yeah. But he divorced her. And yeah. just... Yeah, it's, it's rough. I mean, it's... But I think it's a great movie. I, 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 I think it's one of those movies where, like, I'd probably, um, if it was on, I'd probably watch it again. But it's not a movie I'm going to try and go and watch again, mm-hmm. only, in, unless I feel, like, some real desire to want to not l- like Michael Keaton on screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I, I love him on screen. I mean, yes, he's... No, but I mean, like, if I don't want... Don't want you want to be mad at him? His, if I want to be mad at him. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I saw this in, I believe it was, like, summer 2017, and I hadn't watched it again, but when, we were ta- when you mentioned Gung Ho, this was the first thing I thought of. I mean, yes, there's a ton of other Michael Keaton movies we could have picked... But in terms of, like, a theme for... I feel like these two movies are so perfectly married. Because, you know, he's trying... Because he's, I feel like... I don't think his Hunt Stevenson character is really anything at all like Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc, no, I don't think, made this... The mistakes that Ray Kroc made were before the movie started. Like, all the failed business attempts that he had or failed, you know... A, yeah, the failed businesses he would have had before the movie starts, but in terms of like his decision making, his persistence, um, you know, the only people he lied to in the founder were, you know, the franchisees because he sold. That was the only the other thing that bothered me was he sold all those franchises. As if he was the one that had come up with all the ideas, oh, and yeah. never mentioned, and never at all was like, "Well, actually, I have partners. They yeah. live. They're in California, and everything like that." And and the reason, and it's clear that the reason why he did that is one ego, and you know he want he just loved the idea that people were font, you know, g- yeah, you know, gushing over him. Yeah. But two, if he says that there's other people involved, like he's not the main guy, yeah. they might just say "fuck you" and go to them. Yeah. So, <sighs> well, I'm I'm really excited that we got to watch this again because, um, as everyone knows, I don't make a habit of rewatching things that often. Um, but I was really glad to rewatch this again, and I probably liked it even more the second time because I knew what the basic story was and I could follow it better and pay more attention to the characters a little more. My, what was your I, favorite? I, I, Go ahead. I will I will say that this is a movie that I I. When it came out, I was like, oh, I'm interested in watching this. And I had kind of heard that, like, not that it wasn't good, but I think what someone had said to me once was, you won't like Michael Keaton's character. And I had forgotten about that mm. aspect of it but until I had watched it. But that made me kind of like in my brain, like subconscious be like, do I want to watch the founder? No, I'll watch something else. (laughs) So it never had, I had never put it like at the, at the top of the line to kind of watch. But, um, uh, what was your, I did, I did think that it's, again, it's, it's a good movie, but it's, it, it, it left me with some sour taste, (laughs) with a sour taste. What was your favorite favorite my favorite scene in the movie is um, when the brothers are talking about um, the or on the tennis court. Yes, me too. <laughs> I love that scene. I love that scene, and I also like um, the scene where he meets Joan for the first time at the piano. Like I like that scene a lot too. But no, I I love when they show him how how detailed they were in figuring out how to make like you know, just the most efficient machine really of a restaurant. And, and, and just like how, and and just the, the bumbling of it too, like the whole choreography of people like, no, 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 the burgers can't go this way. No, we need the garnish station over here. Wait, the milkshake seems to be over here. I mean, just, yeah. But, and I love the idea that they use chalk like on a tennis court because then they could redo it if they needed to. And, 
Yeah. Yeah. So. Six hours on the tennis court, they finally figured it out. Well, I mean, it, I mean, and, and it sucks. I mean, it does suck that sometimes, I mean, and this is very common in life, that sometimes someone with a good idea isn't the person that's going to be able to really sell the idea. You know, someone yeah. can create something, but they're not, I mean, they may, like, own, a, like, a patent on it, so they should technically get all royalties and that kind of thing based on that. But in terms of that distributing remi- things. Yeah, that reminds me of, like, Another movie that's a biopic that I would say might be similar to this um, is Joy with uh, Mm. Jennifer Lawrence, Mm -hmm. where she um, ends up being the the home shopping network queen, you know, kind of thing. And and that movie, you're watching someone who has an idea, you know, trying to succeed at selling it and everything like that. And that's a that's good. That's a that movie you kind of feel like. Empower, like good, like mm-hmm. you feel good for her and everything when it's all said and done. Um, whereas this movie, like, and like I said, I mean, I, I probably my negative feelings probably were enhanced by reading more about who the the actual guys, mm. like <laughs> you know, some of the things he had done. When I found out that BJ Novak's character, though, um, so he becomes the CEO and then just has a huge falling out with um with Ray Kroc to the point where they like didn't he like leaves and like he wouldn't even talk about McDonald's mm. after that and um I'm not sure if he like ended up having to take a shit deal like you mm. know like the McDonald's brothers or anything like that but you know obviously McDonald's has I think the the thing was was he was against like further expansion or something like that, and mm-hmm. Ray was like "Fuck that and and obviously that didn't really work because um I don't know if you so <laughs> interesting story about McDonald's so when uh, my wife and I went to Europe the one time we've gone to Europe so far, we went to uh London, Paris, Florence, and Rome. And we made sure to go to a McDonald's in each of those places to see how they were different. Mm-hmm. Which is funny seeing how like this, how the McDonald's brothers started and was like everything was so rigid, and then you go to uh, McDonald's in Rome and you can get shrimp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, different the way that things are different, and um, so that's that's kind of my short McDonald's story is like like seeing how different they were mm-hmm. and then seeing how they're it's international and all those yeah. kinds of things like you can go you could probably go to any country you know any 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 developed country you know in the world and maybe you won't be able to like maybe you won't understand like a, what a good place to eat is, but you could always probably find a McDonald's mm-hmm. and get and get something that's familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's crazy. I think it said that in the in the end in the end summation, it says McDonald's feeds like one percent of the world every day or something. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So, I mean, it's it. This is a different biopic in the sense that, I mean. There's not a whole lot of biopics about like an American business story, you know. You know, a lot of the time, biopics are about other kinds of topics, and this I so that in itself makes this movie a little unique for me. What's a couple other ones? So, um, Joy, like you mentioned, Joy, The Aviator. I'd say The Aviator is kind of a American business story. Um, There's another one um, called Tucker. Which is also about um, deals with cars, mm. starring Jeff Bridges, where he um, is kind of a a, a a motor enthusiast car and and develops like this own car called it a Tucker, and it has all a lot of these features in it that um, all the other car companies were rejecting. Mm. That you know, and it ended up you know, not really succeeding, but, you know, it was about him. I mean, that was kind of a <clears throat> American industry kind of thing. Um, depending on whether, how, how much truth you want to, you, you can take out of it. Citizen Kane is one about Hearst, but <laughs> <laughs> which I just watched, uh, 
we just watched Mank about the writing of mm, Citizen Kane. Yeah, I plan on doing so. Citizen Kane and then Mank soon. Yeah, that's what we did. I I'm not I'm I was not overly enthusiastic about that those movies. I was more I was very enthusiastic to watch Mank and um was kind of disappointed. Mm. A little, slightly disappointing. There was some, I had some problems with it. Mm, I'll give it a try. Gary, Gary Oldman's amazing, though. Well, Gary Oldman's amazing. That's a reason to watch. So, <sighs> um, So, I mean, while he's despicable, I mean, it's hard not to have Michael Keaton as my favorite character. No. I mean, I mean, Nick Offerman is also Nick, freaking Nick amazing. Offerman. Nick, he's Nick so, Offerman's my favorite character. He's so great. And he got so, and, and man, Ray Kroc hung up on him a lot. And then finally he got to hang up on Ray Kroc one time, and that was so great. <laughs> but. Yeah. All <sighs> right. Well, that was fun. Yeah. <clears throat> Although, you know what? I got to tell you, I watched both of these today, and it did kind of feel like I was at work. Only because, like, both of these movies are centered around, like, work and businesses and stuff. It was like, oh, yeah. this, this feels like kind of like work stuff. You know, I. I I didn't really feel that way. I think that more for me it was just like I had a better understanding mm. of what was going on mm-hmm. because, you know, I've been working for over 20 years. You know, yep. I've got all that experience. So, yep. um, seeing, I mean, when you're working, you see a lot of different personalities. You see a lot of different situations. You see all this kind of stuff and it changes, you know, over time. I mean, your company can, you, your com- company can be bought out by a Japanese company like mine a few years that's ago. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Or you could work for a small company and, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's, see corporate takeovers and stuff like that. Yep. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy, but you know, it was, um, so I didn't really, I felt like it was more like because I had work experience. Now, you that that's interesting though because I didn't think about this earlier. I'm wondering if there was anything about like watching Gung Ho as a kid that like taught me things about about working. Not to be racist, but you know, <laughs> I but like how how factories worked or you know how there was unions and how there was labor agreement and stuff like that like i probably didn't understand it but maybe there was some sort of like subconsciousness that i was learning could be um could be i don't know um (laughs) i did find you know what i did find interesting and and i still it's funny because i'm kind of a i'm kind of a person at work where i i wear a lot of different hats Mm -hmm. and it's really like um, uh, there's people at my work that that like if you can do multiple things, you know, it's always going to be better for you. Of course. At my, at my work, mm-hmm. at least. And then seeing that in Gung Ho where George Wentz's character always worked, did this one job. And they were trying to move all everyone around so everyone could special could be doing all different things. So wherever you're needed, you could do that thing. And like like you were saying, the resistance of like, can't I just go back to doing the thing I used to do all yeah. the time? That's what I used to do. And um, well, the delivery so too. See, so was now that so great. now that I've no, but now that I've seen that from the other from the working side, mm-hmm. like I can see. I see both sides. I see the idea of like wanting to come to work and just wanting to do the same thing that you do very, very well every day and succeeding in that when you're done with your day, feeling good about, hey, hey, didn't fuck up today. There you go. That that kind of working versus, hey, what am I going to do today? Something new? Great. You know, yeah. some people really enjoy that, you know, so. Well, I think yeah. that, I think in terms of the conversation that he had where the guy was like, you everybody is going to learn everybody's job because nobody is special and it's like by, yeah, that, by that was like the worst that, way, that was, was like, that was the worst no 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 you're in, in in all honesty it makes sense for productivity if everyone can do every job if someone's out sick if someone's on vacation if someone's hands, someone gets hurt someone's <laughs> hands been crushed in a machine um, yeah. someone else can fill in immediately but be, but the 
the way in which that message was conveyed was completely the wrong way, which, you know, just added to their resistance. But, I mean, and I get it. Like, I get that change is hard. You know, change is not easy. We, this year, with the pandemic, we have all dealt with a lot of it. And, um, you know, it's, it's very challenging. And yet, you know, we also all need our jobs. So. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Well, this was fun. Yeah. Thanks for introducing the founder to me. Thanks for introducing Gung Ho to me. Woohoo! One last thing. Uh, Apparently, in my research, Gung Ho is a Chinese term. (laughs) And I was like, to emphasize the racism of this movie. (sighs) It's so bad. Anyway, I want to thank all of our listeners. I want to thank you, Nancy. And thank you. um, I just want to say. more to come, I guess. Yeah. There we go. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. This has been Fighting Over the VCR. Thank you very much. Thanks.